John chapter 10. at the end of this time I will pray with people that need prayer I just feel a really strong anointing tonight on this word for some reason alright you guys ready John chapter 10 says this Jesus said I tell you the truth the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters in by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. Now, I'm going to come back to that, so I want you to take note of that scripture, okay? The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. So there is a watchman that opens the gate. Then it says, he calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes on ahead of them. So the shepherd goes in front of them to make sure that things are safe. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it in full. Jesus said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. Now I want you to take note of the hired hand. So I'm going to come back and hit on some of this later. There's a hired hand that does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, everybody say wolf. When he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. <clears throat> I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen I must bring them in also and he was talking about the Gentiles they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again no one takes it from me but I lay it down on my own accord and I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again this command I received from my father now I'm going to stop there now I'm going to talk about the shepherd the shepherd's presence. I'm going to talk about Jesus as the shepherd, but I'm also going to talk about a, a pastor as a shepherd as well because Jesus is the chief shepherd, okay? 
but he also has pastors in place for a reason. So this, you know, it's a little bit different as a pastor preaching about these things, but I felt the Lord tell me to do it. Now, there's a story in Israel. I want you to hear this. Some guy went to Israel, and this is a true story, and he said that he was up on this cliff, and he watched the shepherds down beneath him, and they were taking their flock to go eat grass, you know, and as they were leading them out to pasture, there was three different shepherds, and all their sheep were coming together into one pasture. And all of a sudden, all the sheep became one flock. I mean, it was just, and the guy was on the cliff thinking, man, this is horrible. How's the guy going to know which sheep is his and which isn't? I mean, look at this. It was like, you know, each shepherd say they had 50 sheep. Now it's just this big mess, and they're all intermingling. And, and he was up there just thinking, what were these shepherds thinking, allowing this to happen? Now they're going to spend hours trying to figure out whose sheep is whose. And all of a sudden, the shepherd, after they had been there for a little while, one of them went off toward the north, and he had a distinct call, and he would shout out this distinct um, noise that he was making. And all of a sudden, he, the, the guy on the cliff was watching as different sheep that were intermingled. They just kind of perked up real fast, and they looked the direction that they heard the voice, and they began to move that way. And pretty soon, only those sheep that knew that voice began to gather together and move toward their shepherd where they heard him. And they heard him toward the north, and they filtered out and followed him. Then the other guy went toward the east, and he began to do something different. He began to use his voice, but he had his own distinct call. And he was yelling for his sheep. And again, the ones that were in there perked up, and then the other guy did the same thing. And even though once this began, all three shepherds were yelling at the same time, the sheep seemed to block out every other noise but the one shepherd that they had that one sound that was familiar to them and they followed that one sound it's funny because the bible refers to christians all christians including you know me everybody i'm saying this for everybody but it's funny because sheep are not the most brilliant of animals amen <laughs> and god describes us as sheep okay and sheep also don't have any real natural defense Think about it. Most animals have either fangs, they got claws, they've got venom, they've got something. At least, if nothing else, they got some scary sound they make, you know. <laughs> sheep don't have anything. <laughs> well, think about it. They don't. I mean, there's nothing scary about a sheep. Even if it's a big, ugly one, you know, it's not scary. And, and the shepherd, the thing is, the sheep are totally dependent on the shepherd to take care of them. And God refers to many times, he refers to the heathen and he uses these different type of unclean animals to describe the heathen and not his people. And a lot of times he says there's, there's sheep and then there's goats. And obviously the heathen would be described as goats, but goats are something else, you know. I mean, they'll ram you and uh, they're stubborn and all that. But sheep, by nature... <laughs> The only thing that a sheep has, it does have a little bit of a bite, and it, it can nip somebody. And the whole thing about sheep is this. The Apostle Paul said to the Galatian church, he said, quit biting and devouring one another, or you'll be consumed by one another. And being as brilliant as sheep are, 
if sheep begin to sit there and bite at one another and just mess with one another and they're nipping at one another, what's going to happen is, is they're going to get all these cuts and infections. And the thing is, God wants us as his sheep to be able to cohabitate together peacefully and just to follow the shepherd. But I'm going to get into some stuff tonight. It's really interesting. I'm going to tell you, it is imperative that we learn how to hear God's voice and follow him. Because the Bible says that my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And it says in Romans 8, it says that um, we are sons of God and we, we know the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us. And so we've got to learn the voice of our shepherd and how to follow him because even though, you know, a lot of times we talk about, and I think sometimes our lingo confuses people that are completely out of church and away from God because we talk like we're going somewhere. But yet we all meet here every week. And it's like, where do you think you're going? We're not going somewhere in the natural. But in the spiritual, the Lord is taking us someplace. To get there, you've got to hear his voice and follow his leading to where he's taking you spiritually. How many churches have gotten into some kind of a dead rut where they're just going through the motions? And spiritually speaking, they're like in the wilderness where they're just going around and around in a circle. Can you imagine living in Moses' time? I mean, that man, he had to be the most patient man that ever lived because he had, he had like a million people, and most of them were grub, just grumbled and complained all the time. And he was out there stuck in a hot, dry place with a bunch of people grumbling and complaining. Put yourself in his shoes. I think a lot of times we read these things, it just goes over our head. Think about it for a minute. You're out there in your sandals. You're Moses, okay? You got your little staff or whatever he had. You're going through the woods. And, and you're in the wilderness, you turn back, and all these people are just griping and complaining. Who do you think you are? You're no good. You think you're leading us somewhere? Look, in front of us is just sand, you know. <laughs> and Moses just sitting there, oh, you know. But the thing was, the, the, the children of Israel that did not enter the promised land didn't enter because they didn't have faith and because they were grumblers and complainers. And let me tell you, God has spoken to us as a ministry over the years, and he's used some of you that are here. He's used some of you to speak prophetic words about where this thing is going. And we know the voice of our shepherd. We know what the Lord has said. We know what he's promised. We know what's coming. But just like the children of Israel, there's going to be some people that get out of faith their mouth may have prophesied at one time, but now it's negative, grumbling, complaining, no faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The same mouth that prophesied those things is the same mouth now that doesn't believe it. The children of Israel that went into the promised land stayed in faith. They believed God. They believed. Their, their parents missed it, okay? But they knew the word of the Lord that I've given you this land, regardless of whether there's giants or not, doesn't make any difference. I'm going to fight the battle. And they believed God, and they had confidence in Joshua. And whenever they crossed the Jordan and they went in, they began to take down Jericho. And then from that point, they began to take cities and take the promised land. But God wants us to stay in faith and not grumble and complain and keep moving with him where he's leading us. <clears throat> and let me tell you something, a couple quick things. 
in the Bible, there's a principle. Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he gave it to the multitude. Now I want you to think about that right there, okay? You're the bread, I'm the bread, okay? Jesus takes the bread unto himself. He blesses the bread, then he breaks it. After it's broken, then it can be distributed. So the same principle is true all through Scripture is this. He takes you unto himself and he blesses you. He pours out his spirit in your life. He gives you prophetic words. This is going to happen in your future. I'm going to use you this way. I'm anointing you. I'm giving you a token, a little token of what's to come. Did everybody get that? Because a lot of times God will give you like something where you seem to have, and I'll give you a quick story about that. Rodney Hart Brown was saying one time when he was in Africa, he knew, he had visions, and he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt one day that he was going to be doing what he's doing now. He saw it in visions. He saw masses of people. He saw going to different places. He, he knew it. And there he was in South Africa and just, just a nobody. And as he was in a service, he was crying out to God. He was desperate, and he was saying, God, I've got to have you. I've got to have, you've got to touch me. And I think he said something, he was so desperate, something ridiculous, like if you don't come down here, I'm going up there type of thing, you know. <laughs> but anyway, he was just screaming out to God, and God just slammed him. And I mean for days or something, I don't remember exactly, but he was under the power of God, and God mightily touched his life. And then after that, there was this particular service that he ministered in, and the power of God exploded in that service, and every person he touched was just slammed by the power of God. And he went back and he was thinking, what happened? Because this had never happened before. And then it went away. And he was asking the Lord, why did this happen in the first place and why is it not happening now? What's going on? And this is what the Lord said. It'll show up in the future. God gave him a token of what was to come. God took him unto himself and blessed him. But then there had to come a brokenness where God broken. That's where the humility and the character and integrity and all that stuff's dealt with right there is the breaking. Nobody likes the breaking, but if you don't allow the breaking process, you won't be distributed to the, to the multitude. And God has taken this ministry unto himself. He's anointed us. He's put his hand on us. He's blessed us. I've been in some of the most powerful services here than I've, I've ever been in in my life. And that says a lot because I've been to some powerful meetings. But there's also an element of the breaking that God's got to do in all of us. I could go through so many stories of King David was, was taken, he was anointed, and then he got stuck in caves for like 16 years running for his life. That was, that was the breaking. And another thing about the Lord, whenever he leads you, there's always the same pattern you see with Jesus. Remember when Jesus came out and he was water baptized? The Spirit of God came upon him. What a glorious day. I mean, think about it. Man, he heard the heavens open. God the Father spoke. It sounded like thunder. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This was a good day. This is a real good day. You know, even the people that didn't know God's voice said, man, it thundered. You know? And Jesus, Jesus had a great day that day. 
But you know what happened next? What happened? The Spirit of God, not the devil, the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to face the devil. That was the breaking. God had promised Jesus to have this ministry that he was going to have. He knew the future. But he had to go through the wilderness before he could get to that ministry. Through the breaking, through the testing. And here's another thing with the Lord. The Lord will always take you unto himself, anoint you and bless you, and he'll give you promises of your future. <coughs> but the wilderness will be the exact opposite of your promise. Now hear that because that's important. What did God tell the nation of Israel? He said, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. Remember all these promises? A land flowing with milk and honey. All this stuff. What was the desert they were in? There wasn't no house they didn't build. There was not a vineyard, okay? There was no milk and honey. It was the exact opposite of the promised land. So whatever God has promised you, if he's promised you revival, he's promised you a harvest of souls, whatever it is, don't be surprised whenever you go through a time of testing where he makes sure your life is the exact opposite of everything he's promised you. That's the breaking. Once he's done with the breaking, just like King David went through the, he went through the caves, Here's King David called to be the king, anointed. The Bible says about King David, the Spirit of God came upon him in power. And he killed Goliath. Everybody else was afraid. Everybody else was a chicken. They were laying back there whining, and what are we going to do? And David was the only one who went out there and took the head off that giant. Songs were sung about the man, okay? I mean, he was, he was a great man of God, but then God stuck him in a cave running for his life. And it was the exact opposite of the palace. <laughs> what is it about a palace? A palace, uh, you picture in your mind about a pa palace. The cave is the exact opposite of the palace, okay? And here he is supposed to be the king that's defeating armies, and he's running from a guy who's trying to kill him. And I really feel that in the ministry, there's been a breaking and a testing in a wilderness time. But it hasn't been a bad, horrible thing. But in some ways in this ministry, I'm talking about River of Life right now. In some ways in this ministry, it's in some ways it's been the exact opposite of the promises. And it's been the wilderness time. But I really feel in my spirit that everything's about to change. I do. The breaking was necessary. The wilderness is necessary. And it's all through the Bible. Look at Abraham. Look at all the people God used in such a powerful way. Okay? I want to talk about shepherds, and I feel it's connected to where we're going and where we're at right now in the spirit. But I really believe, you know, once David went through the caves, the next thing that came into David's life was a fresh anointing and an increase of spiritual authority. Remember that? And David was the only man in the Bible that was anointed three different times. He had a triple anointing on his life. And I really believe with all my heart, see, David was a shepherd too. 
And God had prepared David by putting him out with the sheep. For David to be the king and to, and to love the people of God and be what he was, God prepared him in the back of the wilderness somewhere where he was tending sheep. He was out there with his little harp. And let me tell you, he was a, he was a great, I imagine he was a great singer and a great musician. He had a heart for God. He was a worshiper, but he was also a great warrior. And God prepared him because while he was out there worshiping God, he was learning to hear God's voice. He was out there by himself. Think about it. All the sheep are out there, and it, it's, it's boring. You know, some people now would just break out their iPod, you know. But, but not, you know, not David. He wanted to worship the Lord, and he wanted to, to hear his voice. And he got to know the Lord's voice. He got the Lord's heart. And God also prepared him to be a great warrior by allowing the lion and the bear to come. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever watched, like, the Discovery Channel or whatever about these animals or whatnot, but these lions are no joke, okay? Like, I wouldn't want to take on what If there was a lion that came in the, the door, I wouldn't want to take it on with all your help, okay? I would probably make a new door about right, you know. But, but David was out there by himself, there wasn't anybody to help him, and he whipped the lion. And then the same thing happened with a bear. You guys have seen some of these stories, you know, where somebody gets mauled by a bear. And David whipped the bear. And then after that, whenever it was time for David to begin to step into his destiny, God gave him Goliath. But David remembered, he said this, he said, I remember the lion and the bear. And this Philistine will be no different because David knew there was no way in the natural that he could have defeated the lion and the bear. There was no way. He had to have God's help to do it. And he knew that if God would help him defeat that, that God would help him defeat this giant. And so you start developing a history with God where God allows things to come in your life that there's no way in the natural that you could have defeated it. But yet you win the battle. You get the victory. And you get a history with God of going through things and God seeing you through it and giving you victory. And what happens is, is that you start developing this faith in you and a trust in God. And then, with, then God can take you to new realms of authority. Because David defeated the lion and the bear, then Goliath. But listen, whenever he was later on in life, it wasn't a matter of just defeating some, some animal or defeating one giant. It was a matter of King David now taking on nations. And so his faith level had to come up in God that he could not only defeat a giant, but now he could take on whole armies and win because he knew that the battle wasn't his, it was the Lord's, and God would give me victory. God has taken you and this ministry unto himself. He's blessed us. There's been a breaking, but now there's about to be a transition. And I feel in my heart like some kind of a mantling and an increase of authority, an increase of anointing that's coming. And I've prophesied about the apostolic, about the signs and wonders. I'm telling you, something is about to happen. I can't give you a date and a time. I can't say it's going to be, you know, in September, whatever. I can't do that. But I know that it's not far. And it's a transition. 
It's where the old passes and the new comes and you go into a new season. It's just like when Elisha, Elisha had been faithfully with Elijah all those years, served him faithfully, but there came a day and a time that was ordained by God. Everyone else was not following Elijah that day. This was like Elisha being, he was taken unto the Lord, he was anointed. God used Elisha when he was with Elijah, okay? But this was his time of testing. Everybody else was gone, and Elijah was saying, you know what? I'm just going to go over here to Gilgal. I'll see you later. And Elisha said, I'm going with you. You know, if I live or die or whatever, I'm, I'm going to be with you. And he did that all the way from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho, then to the Jordan. And when it came time to the Jordan, this was Elisha's testing. He was faithful, and he stayed with, you know, his spiritual father and was faithful to him. When it came time and the chariot came, that's when Eli Elisha ripped off his old mantle, remember? And Elijah's had fallen down, and he picked up Elijah's mantle. And he struck the Jordan and said, where's the God of Elijah? The Jordan split, and he put on that new mantle. And the Bible says the Spirit of God came on Elisha double what Elijah had. And I feel like there's an increase of anointing, an increase of authority coming. And, it, and I specifically sense apostolic and signs and wonders. I just sense that. That's what the Lord is saying to me. An increase of healings and miracles. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's going to do. And I'm not sitting around here. I haven't been begging him about this stuff. I've just been, Lord, whatever you want to do. We just want to see souls saved. We want to see people disciple. We want to see, you know, however you want to use us. We just want to reach our potential. But this is what the Lord says is next. It's like things have been a certain way, and it's been really powerful. But the time of preparation is over. It's ending, and it's time. So I say that to say this, and I feel led to say this. If God's put on your heart to, to like, read a certain book that you've put off, to do something that you've put off that maybe the Lord's been dealing with you about your prayer life and you've kind of been like, okay, I'm, you know, whatever God's been dealing with you about, go ahead and, and do it. Press in and get it done because the time of preparation is coming to an end and it's about to be time to roll up your sleeves and get after some new things, some new things. <coughs> All right, I need to go through this. Did you know, unfortunately, there's been a lot of churches, especially in America, that have been shutting down, and a lot of, a lot of ministers and people getting out of the ministry? I don't know if you knew that. But the reason why, there's, there's probably several reasons why, but people are getting burned out. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, it says that in the end times that there would be a wearing out of the saints. Is Satan is trying to wear people down. How many of you guys have ever felt that? You got to an end of a week, and you thought this week was a lot harder than it should have been. There was a lot more stress than there should have been. This was, this was weird, and you just felt it was just something coming against you. It was maybe that week it was really hard to pray. It's hard to worship. And it's like the enemy is trying to, to wear people down to where they, they quit what they're actually called to do. And let me read you something. There's a man by the name of Tom, okay? I don't think this is a real name, but I'm just going to read this out here. 
One of the finest Christian men that I know, I'm just reading this out of a book about pastors, about shepherds. He was the CEO of a multinational uh, company, resigned as an elder of his church, and also Bill, who was a bright and dedicated minister, quit after 15 years of ministry and is now working as a sales rep for a chain of discount stores. Both men from different congregations had given up hope of doing the real work of the church and the way Jesus would do it. Tom confided that one hour, one hour of the weekly elders' meetings was more stressful for him than 10 hours in the business. Bill said that attempting to meet the unrealistic expectations of an entire congregation was simply taking too much of a toll on him and his family. Neither Tom nor Bill felt they were making much positive difference. Both men had discovered that leading a church is extremely tough in these days where values are vanishing. I'm going to read this slow. They found it hard to lead a church in these days, the end times, where values are vanishing, where social norms are shifting. What used to be normal is not normal anymore. Families falling apart. They have seen litigation, talking about lawsuits, okay? They had seen litigation lurking at the church door. Tension between cultural and ethnic groups in the church. Tension between groups. Inconsistent giving patterns and conflict between traditional and progressive elements in the church. So you've got the group over here that wants things to be old-fashioned and hymnals and such. You got the group over here that want things to be more progressive. And so as all these tensions and frustrations mounted, their churches and families live fast-paced urban lifestyles which seem to accelerate daily. Tom and Bill have learned the hard way that individualistic and consumer-minded church members often measure church leaders by a variety of competitive and unrealistic standards. Many other church leaders feel similar frustrations as they face calendars bulging with meetings, church events, counseling, troubleshooting, refereeing, and much more. Understandably, some leaders throw in the towel. So there's people, and I felt led to read all this and share this because some of you I feel like are called into the ministry, that there's a lot of people that are getting out of the ministry but just because of frustration. And just from being in the ministry as long as I have, I've got a lot of stories, but I'm not going to go there. But I know every minister that I know, every one of them, have been through pure hell in their life at some point. They've been betrayed by people. They've been backstabbed, lied about, talked about, run down. People hate their guts, hate their family, hate their church for no reason. Every minister. And, and understandably, some of them say, I wouldn't wish this on a snake, and they bail. But here's the thing I want to talk about. What causes frustration and burnout in Christian leaders? Number one, trying to fill a calling that you're not called into. If you're really called into the ministry, God's grace will be on you to stay in it through thick and thin. You hear what I'm saying? If you're really called, God's grace is on you to stay in it. Number two, 
trying to do things in your own strength, but not praying, just staying busy. Listen, this is the biggest problem. And you guys that feel called to the ministry, you better really hear this. You need to write this down in your Bible somewhere, okay, where you can go back. Don't just try to deal with everything, pray about it, and let God deal with it. If your prayer life is strong and you're really covering everything in prayer, God will fight your battles. God will take care of about 90% of things that need to get taken care of. He'll fix people's problems for you. I think a lot of people now, they pray for five minutes and then spend five hours dealing with problems a day. If they would pray for a couple hours, they would spend five minutes fixing problems. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? Another thing is not really preaching the kingdom and flowing in power. Therefore, you know what? A lot of the counseling that churches do did you know a lot of that counseling can be solved in the altar? But churches have gotten away from altar calls. And they've gotten away from the power of God, the laying on of hands, and the gifts of the Spirit. And now what they're trying to do is they're trying to do everything the same way as the secular world does it. They'll read secular counseling books, study secular psychology, and try to do everything, and they, you know what? They get the same results. It works about maybe a third of the time, fourth of the time, and it never lays the ax to the root because only Jesus can heal and fix people. All counseling does is just put a Band-Aid on it. Letter D, they tried to run the kingdom of God like a secular business and market it like, a sec like secular advertising. Look, that's the problem right there. Churches are trying to be run by people that want to run it like you would run a business. And one of the things I always appreciated about Zach, and I've, I don't think I've ever really told him this, but to be in the, be in, um, the secular world in business like he is, he's one of our board members, one of our elders. You know, we have these elder meetings, and, and we all get along and love each other. You know? That's a big surprise in a lot of churches, you know. But anyway... And they're fun. I mean, it's like hanging out with friends. And you, know. and you know what? Probably about 10 times is accomplished what a lot of them do when they sit around fighting about stupid stuff. But anyway, but I always appreciate that because, you know, you, it would be the natural tendency for some people to try to run things like a business. And he's never done that. And he, he understands the difference between, yeah, when you're in the business world, you do things a certain way. But when you're at church, it's God's. You know, it's the kingdom. It's the power of God. It's, you know, supernatural. Let me give you some things real quick, and I'm going to start winding this down, actually, about just a good shepherd versus a not good shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Amen. All right, but whenever Jesus reinstated Peter, you remember, Peter denied him three times. <clears throat> Jesus reinstated him three times. It says in John 21, verse 15, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. I listened to the Lord's heart. He told Peter, 
he said, okay, I'm basically, I'm reinstating you here, but this was the charge of the Lord. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, he said, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. And then he went on to prophesy to him. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Psalm 23. Remember Psalm 23? The Lord takes us into green pastures, leads us beside still waters, restores our soul. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. The Lord's rod and his staff comfort us. The Lord prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, and I believe that has to do with the Lord's Supper, communion. He gives us communion right there in the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil, cause your cup to overflow, and goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the heart of the Lord as a shepherd. Let me give you some quick things. Sheep in the natural will regurgitate their food and not eat when a shepherd is not present. Isn't that interesting? It is vitally important. I'm going to give you some points. Number one, it's vitally important that a shepherd is feeding the sheep. I think a lot of times preachers nowadays are just licking their finger and sticking up in the air and what it, whichever way the wind is blowing, whatever's the cool thing now, what they think people want to hear, they're getting up and preaching it. That's not feeding the sheep. Feeding the sheep is, is you spend time with the chief, chief shepherd, and he says, here's what they need this week. You say, yes, Lord. You take it, and then you go give it to them. That's feeding the sheep. Number two. A shepherd stands up on two legs and can see a much greater distance than the sheep, which are down on all fours. My second point is it's vitally important that a shepherd is in prayer and getting vision from the Lord. A shepherd has to be somebody of vision, that God is showing you things and you see what he is showing you. Number three. A good shepherd will anoint the eye area of the sheep so that bugs are kept away. In ancient times, they would do that. They would have oil, and they would rub it on the head and the eyes of the sheep because those flies and bugs would irritate their eyes. It is vitally important for a shepherd to release the anointing to the sheep to help keep the enemy off their lives. Did everybody hear that? You know, what's sad now is that a lot of churches have gotten away from praying for people in the altar, the laying on of hands, the gifts of the Spirit. Listen, it's the anointing that is released into people's lives that helps to destroy what the enemy's trying to do and push back and drive back the enemy. Letter D, a good shepherd will enter battles with the lions and the bears and face the wolves as to protect the flock. I want to read something out of Acts. I'm going to give you some scriptures you probably have never read or at least didn't pay attention to when you read them the way that I'm going to present it. 
in Acts 20, verse 28, the Apostle Paul had gathered some leaders together and he was talking to them. And this is what he said. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which, you, or which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Did everybody see that? Paul was prophesying. He said that after I leave, there's going to be, pe there's going to be wolves that come in and don't spare the flock. When you're dealing with the lions and the bears, you're dealing with satanic forces, principalities and powers, etc. But when you're dealing with the wolves, you're dealing with church troublemakers. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And what they are is they may actually, to some extent, be sheep, but they have the nature of the wolf. And a good shepherd will face satanic attack for the church, but will also square off with the wolves and not deal with or not put up with them. A good shepherd understands he is a watchman. Remember I said to remember that scripture? He is a watchman for the great chief shepherd and will open the gate for the Lord's presence to come to the flock. So the shepherd of a church is called to be a doorkeeper that opens the gate. Remember Jesus said, I stand at the, door, at the door and knock. A good shepherd will open the door for the Lord to come in and his presence come in and touch the flock. But it grieves me because I think a lot of preachers out there are kind of like, well, I don't want all this supernatural business because it, you know, it might offend somebody. Listen, the only people that get offended at the tongues and get offended at the power of God and stuff like that are the religious Pharisees. You never are going to see the lost and the hurting get offended by such things. They come in hungry and desperate. And they want a real God. They want to have an encounter with something real. Besides, the Apostle Paul said that I don't come with eloquent words, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith rests in God, not man. So when you're letting, when you are a good shepherd and you're letting God come in and do what he wants to do, move in power, and he begins to demonstrate his power, people's faith is beginning to rest in him. But whenever you have people that come in and they're real eloquent, and they act like they know everything and they got it all under control and they shut the gate. They don't want the Lord to come move. People's faith only goes to that person. They have confidence in that person. But how many knows that no man but Jesus can actually solve a problem? So when it comes down to it, push comes to shove and people are going through stuff in life. It's funny, I heard, um, heard a minister say this one time. He said that there was a man from a non-Pentecostal circle and he had gotten cancer. And he wanted to come see him. Now, he's a Pentecostal preacher. He wanted to come see him. And some of his friends were like, man, are you crazy? That God's a nut. You know, all speaking in tongues, all that stuff. And the guy said, you know what? 
you don't got cancer, okay? I'm going to go get him to pray for me. And it was funny, the, the guy got healed, by the way, but it was funny because the preacher said, you know, these people don't want the Pentecostal until they're in trouble. Because, listen, they know, deep down they know that the power of God is real and the Bible's real and that these full gospel people got something. They just don't want it. They, they're too wimpy. They don't want to be persecuted for it. But when it comes to push, come to shove, and they're desperate, they'll still go receive from it. They just don't want to have it for themselves and get persecuted. A good shepherd provides true discipleship, not just a classroom. Jesus didn't just pull up some kind of chalkboard and say, all right, fellas, now here's, you know, two plus two equals four. This is what you're going to do. When you lay hands on people, you extend your hands such a way, okay? And uh, you look at them, and then, you know, he didn't do all that. He said, look, watch me do what I do, okay? A good shepherd is not one that's just teaching-oriented alone, but discipleship is hands-on training. Also, a good shepherd, letter F, a good shepherd knows that one day he will give an account for the way he managed the house of God. I want you to read Matthew 24 with me if you want to flip there. Listen, this sermon is going to go out there. There's a lot of people going to hear this. As these things are recorded, you never know. Somebody could hear this 10 years from now if the Lord tarries. But God had me preach this for some reason. And I believe with all my heart there's going to be preachers that hear this. You know, future preachers that are going to hear this. Matthew 24. Now, this is one of those scary passages. Everybody say scary. It's all right. All right. Go with me to verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. And Jesus is coming back. And uh, when he comes back, he's going to be expecting people he's put in charge of things. They better be faithful. Verse 47, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away for a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come one day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he's not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everybody say scary passage. Now, I don't know exactly what cut to pieces means. Now, I know what I think it means, but whatever it means, there's no way that it's a good thing. There's no way. I mean, we can assume that this is going to be a bad day for this unfaithful servant, okay? Cut to pieces, put in with all the other hypocrites where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, listen... I, all I know is I, I don't want Jesus to ever say to me, you know, here in a minute you're going to be cut to pieces. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what, it, what concerns me is you're seeing people now, and I, I believe it's probably always been this way because the scriptures you read even in the New Testament referring to this, but there's people that seem to be in the ministry for all the wrong reasons. And I'm going to say some things that, that concern me, but one is, is that some, some of it, and I think this concerns everybody, but sometimes you see such an abuse about greed and money. 
Now, don't judge people too quickly because I've also heard stories where some preacher was just minding his own business and somebody came up with tears and gave him some expensive watch or something as a gift and then he got persecuted for it. Now, what's he supposed to do? Offend the person? No, I can't take this, you know. So don't just jump to conclusions. But you do see on television sometimes you're seeing people that are exploiting. You see some little widow, some, some little you know, grandma on a fixed income emptying out her bank because somebody told her, you know, if you give me all your money, then God's going to give it back to you ten times. And then she doesn't, and she doesn't get any money. And she can't eat. Now, according to that scripture I just read, those type of things are going to be judged one day. And I don't want to misrepresent the Lord. I don't want to be up here telling people, well, you know, and telling people, thus saith the Lord, if it's not the Lord. Well, if you give all this money, then that's not what the Lord's saying. If the Lord was really saying that, then he would say it to the person. He would say it to the giver. You hear what I'm saying? When somebody talks to me like that and says that, I mean, I just, that's all the more I'm going to be sitting on that wallet. But if God tells me, you give, then it's like I'm going to give whether I get anything back or not. But if the Lord tells me you give and then I'll, I'll do something in return, then I'll believe it. But there's abuses that are going out on out there. Some ministers seem to run it like a secular business, and they're not really concerned about the people. They're just concerned about the machine that they've created staying well-oiled and functioning because it's their bread and butter. It's their 401K. It's their little retirement package. And they don't want to mess anything up because they want to be able to be sitting pretty one day when they retire. That's not a faithful shepherd. That's a hired hand. And what did Jesus say about a hired hand? When the wolf comes, they're just going to run off and leave the sheep. Somebody that's a true shepherd will be in it for the right reasons. It's not about money. It's not about your name being in lights. It's not about all those things. And when you really have those type of motives, you really don't care anymore what other people think. You preach what God tells you to preach. Because there's, you're not in it to just make everybody like you and to have friends all the time. How many knows that Jesus, not everybody liked Jesus? But some people did. There was a lot of people that loved him. But there was a lot of people that didn't. And it's the same thing with every apostle. Every faithful preacher that you read about in the book of Acts, they had some people that loved them and some people that hated them. But they were faithful to preach the word of the Lord and do what God told them to do regardless of what anybody else thought about them. I want to talk real quick about the strength of a shepherd. Now, I wanted to use John Kilpatrick as an example because he did such a good job pastoring during the Pensacola Revival. But I remember one time, this may sound hokey a little bit, but I'm very deliberate about it, and, and this is what happened. But I remember one time when I was there, I went to the revival a lot. And I remember one time I was there and I was worshiping and I had my eyes closed. But I remember distinctly that there was a point during the worship I felt in my spirit, I felt something change. And I opened my eyes and looked and Brother Kilpatrick had just gotten there. Now, what I felt was when I saw him, and again, this may sound hokey to some people, 
But I felt in my spirit, I felt this. I felt like it's safe now. That's what I felt. Like no matter what happens, he's going to let happen what's supposed to happen, and he's going to stop whatever's not supposed to be going on. But it's, it's like it's a safe place. I felt that in my spirit. It wasn't just something I was like in, mentally. I felt in my spirit a change in the atmosphere, and I imagine a lot of other people that were there that are his sheep, I imagine they felt the same thing. But a strong, there's got to be a strength in the shepherd to deal with things. And this is important. Some of you elders, some of you that are called into the ministry, you better listen to me because this will come up. We've got to provide a safe place for worship. A safe place. Where things that are of God are going to be allowed, but that which is not of God is not going to be allowed. You hear what I'm saying? Now let me give you some things about a shepherd. Like Jesus, there's got to be a strong authority standing in the office God's given you with strength. Remember, Jesus had a kingly anointing. He was the son of David. Hosting God's presence. A good shepherd will host God's presence and let God do what he wants to do. But that's the priestly role. Remember, Jesus was a, a prophet and a priest before God. He's our great high priest. Also, letter D, there's got to be sharp vision about where we're going. Remember the whole blind lead the blind? What would happen if some goofy shepherd wasn't looking where he was going and walked right off the cliff and all the sheep went with him? You've got to have sharp vision to know where you're going, and your steps are deliberate. Did you know that the shepherd had a staff, and with that staff it had a hook, and he would pull the sheep in line when they needed to be and all that. But you know also the shepherd had a rod, and rod always speaks in the Bible of authority, but you know in those rods that they would sometimes have something like a, like a jagged edge to it, and it, and it would be a blunt object, but it would have sharp edges, sometimes maybe a nail or two stuck through it. You know what they used that rod for? They used that rod to fight off the wolves. And so with their staff, here they were comforting the sheep and keeping them together. One of them tries to run off, you know. But with the rod, when it came time to, to go nose to nose with a wolf, they would pull out the rod and they would deal with that. Also, a good shepherd, letter E, seeing souls come to Christ, Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Letter F, seeing people discipled. Love is not tolerance. That's the greatest deception, I believe, in the end times right there. You know what the Antichrist will do? There will be this tolerance toward everything. Love is not tolerance. And that's the same song every homosexual sings. They don't love me. Everybody, look, every true Christian loves people. But it doesn't mean that we're going to agree with the sin. And it's like they can't get that. They think that if they love me, they should tolerate it. Love is not tolerance. And as a faithful shepherd, you can't tolerate certain things. Because you do love people. Also, letter H... Allow the fivefold offices to be at work. Just like when Jeff Baldwin comes, he's a very prophetic person, although there's other giftings in his life. 
but like Anthony D is more evangelistic, but letting all the fivefold offices contribute to the maturing of the body of Christ. Letter I, protecting, being protective of who lays hands or who speaks into the sheep. Through the laying on of hands, you can, uh, you can get more than you bargain for. And I want to know that people are living right before they come in laying hands on people. And I know you guys appreciate that. But as we grow and things continue to move forward, help me with it. If you see somebody, just tell them, hey, look, you can't do that unless you ask pastor's permission. If I don't know them, I'm going to say no. We'll get to know you, then you know, we'll talk about it. But I don't want somebody that you don't know what they do in private, what they're into. And that can be released. And also about speaking into people's lives, there's been some people, so-called prophets, that have gone to churches, man, that have ruined people's lives. Let me tell you, th this is true. There's people, one time there was a prophet going, and he was all excited and, you know, sweating and all that, just yelling. And he's like, you two stand. He said, y'all are called to get married. It was a brother and a sister. Anyway, I mean, it's just ridiculous stuff. you got to be careful who, and I could tell a lot of other stories. you got to be careful who you're letting speak into people's lives because, some, listen, there, there's a true prophetic ministry. Okay, I need to say that because there's some people out there that, that have a critical spirit about them, and they don't think that there's true prophets today, and that's, that's wrong. The Bible says there is. But I'm talking about people that, that aren't the real deal. You've got to be careful with who you let speak into your life and who you let speak into the sheep. Because somebody can come in saying, I have a word for you or whatever, and tell them something just goofy and off the wall, and they think, well, that's the word of the Lord, and they go out and do it, and it messes up their lives. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, to know those that labor among you. A good shepherd will be careful about who he puts in leadership. Remember this. You've got to get to know people before they're put in leadership. How many times has somebody put somebody in leadership and then to regret it six months later when they start acting ridiculous and ruining the people's lives and messing up the church? So real quick, here's a good description of a good shepherd and description of a bad shepherd, at least red flags. As far as a good shepherd goes, here's what to look for. Then there's no excuse for this, okay? You, there should be an anointing. Amen. There should be an anointing. There's no excuse for somebody to be in the ministry and not be anointed. There's no excuse for that. People say, well, you're, you're setting high standards. No, that's just, that's not high standards. That's basics. If you're not anointed, don't do anything because it's just you. I remember I read this book title. It says, are you anointed or annoying? I like that because that's so true. Okay, anyway. Another thing is the fruit of the Spirit. Are you seeing the fruit of the Spirit? Also, does the shepherd hear from God? How in the world? If we're all supposed to hear from God, how could anybody be following a shepherd that's not hearing from God? Also, preaching the truth and living righteous. If a, if a true shepherd is preaching the truth, that means there are going to be times when you feel convicted. And I love that. Whenever I go places, I do. You can ask Sandy. I do. 
I used to love that. I loved it during, you know, when I was younger in the Lord, and I love it now when I'm sitting under a preacher somewhere, and he's preaching it, and all of a sudden I'm like, man, you know, I need to do different in that area. You know, thank you for preaching that. I didn't, I didn't realize that, but when that was preached, I see it. You know, I love that. Would you be surprised how many prideful, arrogant people there are out there that whenever the Holy Spirit starts convicting them, instead of it leading them to repentance, it leads them to anger. And they start retaliating. But a good shepherd will preach the truth. And that means you'll feel convicted. And also will live righteously. And what you need to pray for the body of Christ is that God begin to, to deal with stuff that needs to get dealt with. You know, hopefully he can deal with stuff behind the scenes because it hurts the body of Christ when it comes public, okay? But there needs to be a cleaning of the house from the top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom. There's, there's people all through the body of Christ that are living in sin, unrepentant sin, and the world sees them as hypocrites, but not only that, they're not even on their way to heaven. And there's nobody really telling them the truth, and so they're just going along thinking that they're okay. It's a scary day. All right, here's another thing. Letter C. We'll administer discipline if it is needed. Has to have some backbone to do that. Nobody likes to do that. But there's been times I've had to do that. And I'm willing to do it because I love the church. You hear what I'm saying? If I just love myself, then you would just want to let whatever go on. It doesn't matter because you just love yourself. But if you love the church then you're willing to have somebody hate your guts with all their heart and try to destroy you as long as the church is okay. All right. Letter D, not territorial or insecure. You know, I see this. It's one thing to be protective, but I see some people that are so territorial that they won't have anything to do with another ministry of any kind. They just have these walls up. They're afraid. They're afraid, well, they'll come in and, and take people or they'll mess with people or they'll do this and they'll burn me. And listen, that's not a good shepherd because first off, you got to have more faith in God to protect you than the devil to destroy you. Amen? All right, so you got to have faith in God. If God's really called you and God's really put the people there, then it's going to be okay tomorrow. But people live in so much fear. I remember talking to a pastor one time. This is a true story, and it happened here. He was from Rowlett, and it was back during the pre-Dallas days, which most of you don't remember, but it was like 2004 or 5, and I was working with Heartland and Steve Hill's ministry, and, and we were, we were going to plant this whole thing here of, of getting churches together to pray and to evangelize. That was it. And, and you, you would think that people would be excited about that. You would think, hey, man, why not? Let's all pray. God will move if we pray. You would think they'd be excited about, hey, you know what? Yeah, let's join forces, hit the streets, see a harvest. We couldn't get people to come. And, and I mean, this was even using, you know, Steve Hill's name because he's well-known. It's even uh, had all this publicity in it. We could not get a person to come. And not only that, but I remember talking to a pastor from Rowlett, and I was telling him because I had shelled out all the money to do everything. And we had zero help. And I remember saying to him, you know, hey, man, your church is in a good location and stuff. True. He was sitting there talking to me, and he was shaking because he was so afraid. His hands were shaking. And he was like, no, we can't. We're not going to, you know. He was just terrified to let anybody near his church or anything. 
that they would come in and burn him because he's been burned in the past. But listen, every preacher has been burned multiple times. That doesn't mean that you start putting up walls to where you won't let anything happen at all and live in total fear. You hear what I'm saying? No idols. I'm closing this down, but I feel this is important. No idols. There are some people, they're in the ministry. They want their name and lights. They want the big buildings. They want the bottoms in the seats. They want this stuff. They want to be recognized. And they got all these idols in their heart. And I know, I know somebody right now that I really believe that they're out of the will of God. But it's because they went whoring after idols of having um, facilities and, and a name and, and all this stuff that they wanted so bad. And they were willing to sell out and go after that. But so I remember telling a guy one time, he, um, he kept going to church. And then he was in bed with some girl. Kept going to church, then in bed with some girl. Just back and forth, back and forth. I remember one time this guy was telling me, man, he, you know. And I told him, I said, listen, that's his God. And until he lays down that idol, he's going to have problems. You hear what I'm saying? When you live for those idols, that was his idol. He wanted, he wanted that sex. He wanted the women. And the reason he was coming to church was the same reason he was going other places. He just wanted to meet women. Everybody say wolf. Okay. That's a wolf. All right. Red flags. Here's some things to avoid. Be careful about the preachers and ministries. You guys ever done this yet? I'm sure you have. Have you Googled? an anointed person's name yet. Have you done that? Okay, go home and do it. Just pick anybody. doesn't matter. Just somebody that's anointed, random. You can write a bunch of names down and just go, okay, yeah, I'm going to Google this one. And you're going to just see a ton of slander everywhere. There are people that make their whole ministry, so-called ministry, they call themselves watchdogs. Okay, so I guess that there's apostles, prophets, and now watchdogs in the fivefold ministry. <laughs> They're self-appointed, no anointing, no discernment. The sad thing is, is that their so-called ministry is destroying every ministry that they don't like. And you know what's ironic about the whole thing? If you listen to their lingo, everybody else but them is a false prophet. Everybody else is a false teacher. Everybody else is a wolf. Everybody else is this. And the fact of the matter is, it really is them. That's the wolf. Isn't that interesting? Don't have a pastor like that. Okay? If somebody's like that, go the other way. That's not a good shepherd. Another thing that's a red flag is pet doctrines. There are some people, they will die for their little pet doctrines. Literally. And they'll, they'll take others with them. I know people that they believe with all their heart things are a certain way. And scripturally, they're wrong, but they're going to defend that to the death, okay? And if you find yourself, that's a red flag. If you find yourself with a minister that will not be willing to change some pet doctrine or whatever or admit to something, it can really hold you back. And I'll give you an example. There's people out there that really believe they're very anti-deliverance ministry type of thing. They preach against it. Well, here's the problem with that. All the people out there the zillions of people out there that need deliverance are never going to get help from this guy. 
and, and they won't change. They're just bent on this. It's their little pet doctrine. They're going to die for it. You're wrong. They're, you know, they feel like everybody's wrong. I'm right. That's pride. And when you see that, you, that's not a good sign. Okay? All right, here's another thing. And this goes for everybody. I want everybody to hear this. Give me your best ear. Wishy-washy, cowardly, or two-faced. I've seen some things, guys. I have. Wishy-washy is somebody that will say one thing one minute, and then when, they, when they're with a different crowd, they'll say something completely different. Not a good shepherd. And not only that, not a good friend to have. Cowardly. They won't stand up for what they believe in. They, they believe it, but whenever it comes time to actually declare it, they're too wimpy to do it. Two-faced. And listen, remember this. If somebody will run you down, or if somebody comes to you and will run down your brother or sister in Christ to you, or run down your preacher to you, give them a couple days and they'll be running you down to someone else. They're not your friend. And there, unfortunately, there's people like that in the ministry that are two-faced. There'll be one way to your face and another way behind your back. These are character flaws, and God needs to deal with them. Letter D, if you see a lack of anointing and a lack of signs following a ministry. But God said clearly in Mark 16 that he would confirm his word with signs. You know why I believe, I remember here since God's been breaking out revival in our ministry. Do you remember the times here lately where it's like preaching and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just slams the place after the sermon? Just, I, I kind of feel like that might happen tonight. But I was, th I was thinking about it, and, and I felt like it was the Lord saying, if you'll preach the word, you'll preach the truth, then the Lord will confirm it with signs. That's what he said he would do. Bad fruit in ministry or people pleasers. Be careful of people pleasers. The Apostle Paul said, if I lived to please men, I would not be able to be a bondservant of Christ. You can't be both. A lack of character or integrity. I do my best about this. I'm, I'm not the best at, you know, always being exactly on time about everything, but I try. But I try to live my life. This is the truth. If I tell you something, then that's just the way it is. If I tell you I'm going to be there, you know what I'm saying? I try to have character and integrity about things. I try. I do my best. But there are some people, you can't depend on them. Man, they'll tell you I'll be there, and they won't even show up at all. They have no character, no integrity whatsoever. They'll tell you something, and it's, there's no truth to it at all. Not good. A lack of the gifts of the Spirit in operation. And the last thing was female control. I wanted to touch on this because in America, there is kind of this Jezebel Ahab thing going on. Now, let me explain this. I have to do this because I don't want people saying Pastor Scott said something I didn't. I have no problem at all with women being used of God. In fact, Catherine Coleman is one of my heroes. You guys know who she is? Remember her? Man, just a giant of faith. I love her ministry. She's touched my life. And uh, if it wasn't for her, we would I don't believe we'd have Benny Hinn. He, you know. But anyway, and I love Joyce Meyer's ministry. You guys like her? She's great. But I'm dealing with the I'm dealing with stuff in the local government of a church. Okay? Now turn with me real quick to 1 Timothy 2:12. I want you to read it with me cuz I want you to see it for yourself. 
as I've seen, I'm talking about good shepherds and not good shepherds here. It's something that I've seen. I could read the whole thing, but I just want to start with uh, verse 12. But it talks about women dressing modestly. Eh, how about that in today's society? You know, we need we need to like take this in the Bible and get some billboards put up. Amen. <laughs> right next to some of the billboards that are out there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. All right. But anyway, I want to start with verse 12. It says, I do not per permit a woman to teach or have authority over, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first and Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. I just want to stop there. Now, people, and when I say witches, I mean this literally. People that are in witchcraft, they, they, they hate God, man. And they think that God oppresses women and stuff. Do you, do you really think that God oppresses women? Come on, I need to hear female voices going, amen, pastor, come on. Do you really think God oppresses women? I don't either. But you've got to understand this. There's certain scriptures in the Bible for kids, and then there's certain scriptures for adults, like parents and children, different rules. Okay. There's different scriptures in the Bible for women and different scriptures for men. There's different scriptures for husbands, different scriptures for wives. It's all in there for a reason. God knows what he's doing. He's smarter than all of us. You know? And true godly women love the Bible and don't, don't get offended at this anyway. But the rebellious, they do. Okay? Especially when you're dealing with that Jezebel spirit. But here's the thing. I've seen some churches where, and I, I'm just telling you a red flag, where there's like the wife is the senior pastor and the husband is under her authority. And I've seen that more than once, and it's becoming more and more common. That is a Jezebel Ahab scenario. Okay. Also, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, that an elder is a husband of but one wife. So I just said that to say this. When you're dealing with a church to go to and a good shepherd or a not good shepherd, where you're seeing stuff that's unscriptural, it's like a role reversal. Things are flip-flopped. It's out of order. That's not a good place to be. Amen? All right. There's some more scriptures here you can read. Man, I feel, I just, ever since I've been preaching, I've been feeling an awesome anointing here tonight. Now, be honest with me. Be honest with yourself. As a Christian, we all got to go to church. Amen? We need to go somewhere. <coughs> you guys, as much as me, you want church to be a safe place. Amen? Come on. You want church to be a safe place. You want to feel safe. You want to feel like things are scriptural. That things are not out of order. Things aren't weird. I've been around some of that weird stuff, and it just doesn't feel right. There's something off, you know, and it's uncomfortable. And you want church to be a place where you know that you can come and be protected. Now, I've always said this, but I refuse to pastor a dysfunctional family. 
not doing it. People are going to get along. And it's usually, it's usually one or two people that's the troublemakers. And if you just get rid of them, everybody loves everybody. But you have one person that thinks it's their little, you guys remember the Warner Brothers cartoons and you had the Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, you remember? You remember the Tasmanian Devil? Yeah. You guys know where I'm going? There's usually this one person, and they think that it's from God, but they got this little tornado that follows them everywhere they go. <laughs> and they're just always stirring something up, you know, and then the pastor, and I, I've heard this, and it's the truth. It's like some pastors can never really do much for God because their whole life is following behind Sister Busybody and putting out every fire that she starts. <laughs> That's their whole ministry, man. And it's like, I got some good advice for you, Pastor. Get rid of her, you know, and preach the gospel, man, you know. Oh, anyway, so, but I, I, I just want everybody to get along and love each other in Christ. Agape love, amen. All right, let's lift our hands for a moment. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come have your way. Man, feel that. Come on, let's lift your voice.